0: Close every door to me. If my life were important, I would ask, would I live or die? But I know the answers are far from me. Hide all the world from me. These words are words of another Joseph, also a dreamer from Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That Joseph and the Hebrew scriptures who was a dreamer and saw things as they would be and as they were, but at great risk to the life that he led. The cost often caused him to question the promise. Driving in, This morning, before it was light out, the day after Christmas, I passed a man walking on the side of the highway in the country with a bag over his back, just walking in the dark, far from everything. And I don't know why he was there, and I don't know what his story is, but I know that he was walking in the dark on the side of the highway the day after Christmas. And as I came into Houston and came closer to our church, I saw people sleeping at the bus stop and behind CVS. And I don't know their stories, but I know they were sleeping on a bus stop and behind a store. And I was thinking as I was driving about a family that my partner has befriended up in Shepherd, Texas. And this young couple with their three young children, uh, the husband has recently been laid off and they're struggling. And Tate was telling me that for Christmas, they had enough to buy two pairs of tennis shoes for their three children. And that they needed to figure out how to get the sizes right so they'd be just a little too tight for one and just a little too loose for the other so that they could take turns wearing them on other, every other day. And my heart, you know, and that's the way it should be. And I said to Tay, you know, we can, we, surely we can buy a few pairs of shoes. And he said, honey, we can't. What would I say to my friend that would let him hold on to his dignity? We can buy you some shoes for your children when he's already feeling that he cannot provide for his own family. And I hate this. I hate this. Close every door to me. Hide all the world from me. I know You are sitting in this congregation right now, I know. Some of you are wondering these very things. Is my life that important? Should I live or die? And where are the answers? And is the promise that we just celebrated the night before last really worth it? Does it mean really anything at all? It sure was beautiful here on Friday night. It was so beautiful and lovely. And the congregation was full of the candlelight and the singing and that moment of silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright. That's the song I want to hold on to. I want to go back to sleep in the silent night. But it's the day after Christmas. You bet that Joseph wanted to keep sleeping, right? If that darn dream didn't wake him up. Let's just think about this, right? Joseph must have been feeling pretty good that he'd finally made it to a place where all the risks that he'd been taking, all the losses that he'd been experiencing, all the challenges that he'd been facing were kind of affirmed, right? I mean, he had this experience of unexpectedly having to deal with complications in his relationship with Mary and had to make choices about how he was gonna handle that and whether he was gonna stay with her or go or put her out and what would that cost him if he loved her and held on tight while other people said you should let her go. He had hard choices to make that called him to close doors not only on what society expected of him but what his own vision for his life was gonna be. Yeah, this wasn't what he signed up for. He was following, but it was difficult. And then they go and have a baby in a manger, where as Reverend Harry was lifting up for us, I mean, it was stinky and yucky. I mean, the childbirth, people. Having a baby in a farm area. Okay, I'm just saying, in the winter right? Not. I mean, he must have been like, what is going on? I'm doing the best I can but this. Wow. So it must have felt pretty good, right? That silent night moment that we celebrate when shepherds or wise men or whoever, all the heavenly host said, yes, this is the one. You've been listening, and it's been hard, but this is the one. And you've made a way, and you you did it. I bet when he was going to bed, he was thinking, God, we made it. And then God wakes him up with a dream that says, Quick, get up, take your child and your partner and get out of here quickly because they're trying to kill you all and go fast. And he has to make a decision to listen and to follow and to move with fear and with anxiety in the midst of wailing and lamentation as he is hearing parents crying out as their children are being murdered. Imagine the burden on his heart. Who is this God? Who is this God? I was at a AA meeting early in my recovery. And I remember I was listening to a woman share her story, and it was very moving to me. She talked about how she had lived a life of um, degradation and that she had made choices that had repeatedly endangered her physical well-being and when she became pregnant, the child within her. She drank and used drugs and did not care for herself through the whole pregnancy and she got to a point in her story where she said, but this is how I came to know that God loved me. And that God was with me. And that God would bless me and care for me. That even though I live my life like this, God brought from me a perfectly healthy baby boy. Who has nothing wrong with him despite all the things that could have happened. And now he is 13 years old and he's a fine young man. And every time I look at him, I know that God has surely blessed me. And I was inspired. And I watched a woman in the back of the room get up, visibly upset, and slam the door on her way out. And when I went after the meeting and found her outside, I asked her if she was okay, and she said, No. What does that mean? What does that mean? I've been sober 10 years, and three years ago, I gave birth to a child who can't live without all sorts of interventions. The financial burden alone is breaking us, and my family and my marriage is falling apart. He can barely take a breath on his own. I can barely sleep for the fear and the stress and the anxiety. What does this mean, that God doesn't love me and God doesn't bless me? <sighs> I had no idea what to say. What do you say? This is a scripture of good news. Real good news is good news that can be preached in the hardest places. And so this is hard good news for those of us that live hard lives and want a real word of hope. You see, here's what's hard about the day after Christmas, all of us have the possibility of asking that question. How do we celebrate the birth of Christ in the midst of a world in which there is plenty of wailing and lamentation? Babies are dying right now. People are homeless right now. We in this room, many of us, are broken right now. What if, as we fear, Christmas, the peace we experience on silent night, is a shallow ritual? What if? Over the past year, I've had the privilege of sitting down with four different people hearing what is called in the 12 steps a fifth step. It is an opportunity for someone to sit down and share with a trusted person um, their life as they understand it, all the things that have happened that have uh, made them who they are, for better or for worse. Um, And what has awed and amazed me in every story was how many reasons through each of these lives their was for each of these individuals to give up hope. How many ways each of these individuals should be completely justified and being broken by grief or anger or fear. And yet, they weren't. Somehow, even in life stories that would have been justified by anybody in saying there is no God and I give up, these people proclaimed the goodness of God. How do we do this? I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of our God because of all that God has done, the great favor to the house of Israel that has been shown according to God's mercy, according to the abundance of God's steadfast love. Surely, they are my people. Children who will not deal falsely, said our God, becoming their savior in their every distress. It was no messenger or angel, but God's presence that saved them. In holy love and pity, God redeemed them. The Holy One lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Time after time in those fifth steps and in the people in this congregation who have lost breasts, And colons, and had knees blown out, and shoulders replaced, and friends lost to death or dementia or distance. All of you who are in this room who have had children who have struggled, or you yourself have had a diagnosis you can't bear. All the people in this room who have had questions about living and dying. All of you who have come and gone with the flow of life on life's terms, and it has called you under the water on more than one occasion, all of you somehow sitting in this room testify to something greater than hopelessness. What do we do? Somehow each of you, all of us, all of these people have found the strange deep truth that hope is found in hopelessness. Let me say it again. Hope is found in hopelessness. That is very good news. It's hard good news, but it is very good news because the world that we live in has plenty of hopelessness to share. But hope has no meaning unless there's hopelessness, right? What is hope but the thing in us that says Despite what it looks like right now, despite how I feel right now, despite the fact that I think that I can't go on, despite that I cannot imagine a future, I trust and believe that this is not the only moment of my life. I trust and believe that somehow there is a way out of no way. I trust and believe, I have hope that something in this is redeemable, is able to be made worthy of the pain and the fear and the suffering, somehow I'm willing to stick with this moment, to stay present, to find the hope in my hopelessness. Where is our hope found? Not in a messenger or in an angel, but in the very presence of God, who in our place of hopelessness is present with us. You see, this is the good news. This is the salvation, the awesome and trembling trust that we practice when we say, I'm going to try to believe that Emmanuel, God with us, is real. I'm going to try and believe that God is with me. I'm going to have the courage to stay here in this moment and not escape and not run away and not deny and not close the door on the truth of my own experience. Thinking that my ways of salvation will somehow work because what are our ways of salvation? How do we feel like this will save us? I don't know about you, but I often look to things to save me that cannot save me. I look to pretending it's just not true. It doesn't work. I look to finding a rule that I'll just practice and hold on tight to, but it never sustains me. I look to addictions. I look to false fronts. It's all fine. I look to relationships. If you love me enough, you'll make it better. I look to accomplishments if I prove my worth. It'll be okay. I look to a lot of things to save me that cannot save me because in the end, it's the presence of God that I need to know in my soul. And so my salvation comes when I can close the door on any and every other false salvation I seek. When I can close the door on trying to escape my hopelessness and instead open myself to the presence of God's hope within it. Salvation is in presence. It is not in going away. I am not saved by God coming down and taking away things. I am not saved by God coming down and taking me away from the reality of our broken world. What I am saved by is a God that was born in a manger, who was birthed at a young age amidst wailing and lamentation. A God that has never held back God's presence because of the brokenness of anybody or anything. A God who brought God's light to bear in every place, where suffering and fear and confusion and desolation would threaten to take hold. This is the one who makes a way out of no way. And we close the door on every other way and find some new path that will save us. I look at Joseph and give thanks that he's been our guide for this Advent season. You know, Mary is so wonderful to celebrate during Advent because it's such a wonderful, romantic thing. Open yourself, just say yes to God. As you will, Lord, let it be with me. And we think, yes, I'm gonna do that, as you will. And it's so beautiful and wonderful. But there's something about Joseph that strikes a little more true to me and the human experience. He didn't really sign up for this He was just going along in his ordinary life. Then he fell in love. And he fell in love with someone who wasn't quite what he expected. Ring a bell? (laughs) And he had a decision to make. Was he going to love her? Even though she wasn't quite what she expected and she brought with her a whole host of complications. You know what I'm talking about. And would he close the door on society's expectations? And would he close the door on his own visions of what he thought his life was gonna look like? And would he close the door and go forward into a new place with a God that was calling him forward in ways that were still a little murky and strange, into places that were still uncomfortable and unfamiliar? I like this guy. He's the guy who didn't sign up for it but listens and does his best to follow along. And he closes the doors when he has to, and he feels the fear and the confusion, and he keeps on. And somehow through his willingness to do all that, guess what? The fact that Joseph didn't ditch, that he didn't jump ship, that he didn't say, no thanks, I'm checking out, the fact that he stayed present with Mary For Mary, with God, for God. That ordinary guy made a way for Christ just by sticking with it. Not because life was good. In fact, it was pretty darn hard. But because he listened to the voice of God within him. And he moved forward when he was asked to move. And he closed the doors he was asked to close. And he did his very best in his really humble, ordinary human way to say, I'll stick with you, God, and I'm going to trust you're going to stick with me. And that is the deal. And that's the saving grace. I'm going to close with a prayer that I was blessed to receive in yet another AA meeting. By yet another woman who was being separated from her child. She was uh, getting sober in prison, and she was having to relinquish the child that she had just birthed. And she was talking about how she experienced her incarceration that was upcoming as a blessing. I couldn't fathom it, personally. She said, I can't explain this to you, but I will tell you that even though I'm closing the door on my freedom, and I'm closing the door on being a mother in the way that I had, thought I would, and I'm closing the door on many things, including my addiction. I have a peace within me that I cannot describe. I have hope within me that somehow it's all going to be okay. And this is the prayer that I pray and I give to you, she said, and now I will pass it on to you. She said, in all things, I give thanks, and the prayer goes like this. God, thank you for everything you have given me. God, thank you for everything you have taken away. God, thank you for everything that remains. God, thank you for everything that is to come. For in your way is my hope. And I trust this. Staying present to God and letting God be present in us. This is our salvation and it is very good news.